0: Hi, and welcome to EDM Obscura. I am joined as usual, I guess not always, but usual by my co-host, Vadis. And today we are here with a wonderful and interesting producer and YouTube content creator named Alchemy. Welcome to the show, Alchemy.
1: Hey, how are you guys?
0: Vadas, how are I'm you?
2: Doing, I, I'm doing fine, actually. I'm, I'm ready to get this started. And as with tradition, we got the podcast juice.
0: Vettis uh, has a tradition of opening a beer at the beginning and often middle points of our podcast.
1: Very professional. Very professional. He um, couldn't couldn't see you doing anything else.
2: <laughs> it's my bit, bro. I gotta say, st- I gotta stick with the bit.
0: He's really trying to create
1: himself a character on the show. But <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't you? That's part of the fun, right?
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, we had a guy on here for a little while who was co-hosting that wasn't an actual person, but so much he just. A character i had a friend of mine playing as purely an experiment with that
1: i'm kind of curious to know how that turned out to be honest because that sounds oh. like a lot of fun
0: <laughs> well he hosted um an episode of the podcast despite having zero podcasting experience i think it went reasonably well because i was the subject of the interview i had an ep come out a few weeks ago
1: that's awesome congrats on your release thank you um, um yeah, send it to me after. Actually, I like listening to other people's music.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it'll be super up your alley. I think you and Badass actually make I can think kind of similar music. Um, I was listening to your stuff a little bit before this, as you know, you, the way you do when you prepare for talking to people.
1: Possibly. I mean, I, I'm pretty open minded to be honest. Um, I think that there's so many qualities of of sound areas that it's really hard to kind of like dial in on one genre, right? Um, right. I mean, not to go and jump off the deep end already, but I find that that there's a potential trap with making music where people feel like they establish a brand or a company or, you know, whatever, and they're like, all right, well, you know, this is my artist's name and this is the kind of music that this artist makes and this and that. But really, it's like, I mean, unless if we're making millions of dollars or whatever, like, as long as we're making music of any kind, who cares?
0: Right, absolutely.
2: Agreed. I think we were we were touching on that last week with starblade weren't we
0: yeah yeah we had this guy on uh, starblade who's i think going to be on our show that we're recording after this for the uh, first patreon episode we're doing
1: nice. um, I, I mean like yeah like think about it like to be honest i i feel like i have more respect for people that can continue to make the same genre of music and try to make so many tracks that sound the exact same or that don't sound the exact same or whatever and stick with that through the whole way but I mean, I don't know. Do you guys ever get just like super burnt out of making the same genre like over and over and over?
0: Oh, constantly. I mean, I think for sure.
1: Yeah. And so it's like, how could you possibly, you know, how could you possibly continue to not get or how could you not get burnt out without, you know, making different stuff? Like if you release it, that's a different story. But I mean, I find myself, you know, going into a lot of lo-fi music or even just like messing around on piano or something even if I don't plan on making a song out of it or releasing it as a tune, just because I can't, you know, I can't sit there and do as much as I love it. I can't sit there and like just edit little audio clips for six hours every day at a time.
0: Right. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I make, I make a lot of stuff that I would probably never put out that I, um, you know, you share with friends and stuff. You're like, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, oh, go, that's terrible. It's like, okay, well, I'll go back to what I'm good at now, because now I'm, I've been defeated.
1: Be right. Keep your feet on the ground. Exactly. Um, Yeah,
2: I do the same. I I dance back and forth between. You know, I'll start a track and be like, "Oh, I want this to be a banger," and then it ends up being like a classically influenced movie theme kind of thing. And I'm like, "Well, there's not really a good drop in this one," so.
1: Here we are. All right. So I, I mean do you often find yourself like cuz for me I think like that's really cool because I find that would be a creative setback for me because a lot of times if I'm into production or something I'm like it's got to be this you know if it comes naturally that's one thing but a lot of times I'm if once I start shaping an idea I kind of am like set on that and if I can't make it work then I'm like all right <laughs> scrap the track and do something different I I go
2: through both of those I mean I think that uh, you know, there's there's tracks that come naturally to me when I, I just open up my DAW and I don't have a set idea. I just start playing around. Um, those always seem to come together the best. If I start something with, you know, a, an idea in mind, then, yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to, to stick with that theme.
0: And I think I'm kind of the opposite with the background I come from because I'm an architect by trade. Um, wow. It, And so what we do in our day-to-day is we're, you know, kind of constantly, you know, trying to be creative within a context, really. I think you have like 1%, 2% room to be creative, Um, and the rest is just, you know, maddening and going to a fight to get to that often.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: And, And so I think for me, I have a very hard time starting music without having a context and putting it in. So 90% of the songs, especially if I want, like, if I want to put out music, I will, you know, take a track that I like and I'll listen to eight bars of it and I'll do like, okay, what could they have done better? Or what would I have, if I was writing this song, how would I have done it? And I'll take those eight bars, that'll become, you know, like the verse of the song. And then I'll maybe I'll do the same thing with a different song for the chorus. And I really find myself most productive when I do that. And I don't think I leave too many traces. Of where I'm pulling from, often.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty powerful tool. Um, yeah. I wonder. If, yeah, yeah. I was sorry. I was just like, that's if. I mean, having the ability to cultivate that is is pretty. I I don't know. I wouldn't even know how to go about doing that. To develop that kind of imagination is is pretty unique, to be honest.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's like, it's like this thing where it's like mentally. Whenever I'm sort of suffering in one field, I find myself going to the other one to reframe how I'm thinking about the other one and sort of bouncing back and forth. So I'll be very, I guess, productive in my work life for like six months of the year and then very productive in my musical life for six months of the year. And then those will sort of help each other, I guess, as more of like a grander part of like self-actualization.
1: Yeah, to be honest, that's, a, that's something that I talk about a lot of times. Um, I guess you guys probably didn't know this about me, but um, I am also I've been teaching martial arts for forever. And um, that's part of one of the things that we talk about when we talk about creativity, right? Um, it's not about it's the difference between doing and being, we always say. So I guess in relation to to music and stuff, you know, it's not about, you know, a specific drum pattern. It's not about a specific doing a specific genre. It's kind of figuring out the problem-solving formula that you learn through making music or through any kind of endeavor or skill that you're trying to build, and figuring out where those, I guess, parallels can apply to other forms of your life. And right. uh, it's kind of kind of profound to hear you kind of you know have that fluidity because it's something that you know for me and all the things that I do, I still kind of aspire to kind of make that happen. Can I ask you a kind of off topic question? Um, I'm kind of wondering if you because you're an architect, have you heard of Architecture Inspirations? What is that? Um, Well, it's a it's a YouTube channel and um, it's just my my friend who's kind of blowing up and uh, we went to high school together. But I was just wondering if you if you've heard of him. I have not. No worries. Totally fine. I guess I just popped the question just because you said you're an architect.
0: Um, but yeah, we were also, I guess we had a kind of a conversation that we were having before, before this about sort of the production community in general. Um, and that's usually a thing we like to talk about on a year, is just to kind of get people's like opinions on like where that culture is sort of shifting. Um, and I was wondering sort of what is your kind of st- take on where the EDM production, I guess, discourses for a better word
1: say discourse
0: yes discourse
1: um <clears throat> i think that man edm in particular is in a really amazing and odd place and i find that that i think that there's at least two different worlds that people are kind of floating around in beyond genre right <clears throat> right um there is a community called glitch.cool i don't know if you've heard of them or not but it's Pretty much ran by um, by a producer named Wolg. He's from he's not from, but he's part of Yuku, and uh, he just makes amazing like glitch music and stuff. I find myself hanging around with those guys more, or trying to you know interact with them because those guys are the ones that are really not worried about making club bangers, making you know amazing you know pieces that's gonna you know set the festival on fire. They're more so concerned about pushing technological and advancing, you know, imagination to its fullest potential of sorts. And then, likewise, the other parallel, of course. And I'm sure that there are many other faces of the EDM community. But, um, but the other side is people that are wanting to do, you know, more club type things or make something digestible. And so, I found this this dissonance between them, and an interesting kind of just middle ground, so to speak, because. The more obscure that you get, no pun intended, but the more obscure that you get with, with you know, going down the other side, the more experimental things get. And there's a whole different kind of appreciation for it. Whereas, you know, by nature, by our ears, to people that are kind of unfamiliar with what exactly is... For somebody that is unable to appreciate, you know, all the nuance that that somebody's doing in that realm, um, it's, it's kind of hard to bring that to a popular mass right right and so finding this parallel between of making music digestible versus advancing the genre is kind of like one of the biggest things that i think that a lot of us are kind of floating around and trying to do at least for people that like aren't big you know um i think that there's a ton of producers that are doing it well that are pushing it and to me that's a big reason why it makes those guys the difference between good and great right but Figuring out how to find that balance, you know, which is almost like almost synonymous with originality, I want to say, or almost synonymous with finding a unique uh, characteristics of your own tunes kind of has to be that way. I mean, look at Big Room and how quickly that came and went, right? Um, that right. like every every song sounded almost exactly the same. And now everybody hates Big Room and now it's become a meme. There's nothing wrong if you like Big Room. I don't care. But just as far as that, like it, it's it didn't go anywhere. And nobody did anything with it.
0: Right. It really kind of stayed by a sort of set of rules. And as soon as you broke those rules, you were no longer even considered part of, uh, I guess, the genre.
1: Yeah. And I think that, like, it has to go beyond genre, too, though, right? Because, like, you have this other side, I guess, which is more so of the consumer side of things where, um, you know, people are fighting over genres of, like, what is this? You know, oh, it's, you know, deep, chill house Glitch experimental dubstep, and it's right. like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I think that's, that it's more so...
2: that's like just eight genres just mashed together right
1: there. <laughs> but it's true, right? I mean, I know. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And, and it comes to like you know, it comes to like different archetypes, of course, and then it comes to I guess like whoever wants to try to claim something because that's you know part of it too. Everybody wants to invent their own genre, but you, you know, it's like. <sighs> I think that like having be if, if you're a producer, I think that it's your personal responsibility to look beyond that and kind of identify things through through sound characteristic, um, through BPM, through, through tonality, and not say that it has to be within a certain characteristic, right? Like have you guys ever like found an artist that sounded so cool and then you're like, okay, well he makes this quote-unquote particular type of music but everybody else that makes that same type of quote-unquote genre doesn't sound like him yeah i mean absolutely and so yeah and so it's kind of you know you kind of have to dig deeper than that to kind of find whatever nuance that particularly is you know i mean nobody sounds like tipper as far as i know but tipper would be considered you know a glitch artist right Um, right you know, there's a lot of people now that are trying to sound like Cohen sound, but back in the day, like nobody was ever even close, like by any means. But they would be considered, you know, neuro hop or, you know, now I because they're doing so much more like acoustic and, you know, real instrumentation type of stuff. Like, I'm just like, it's just Cohen sound. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they're making.
0: Right. I, I, don't, I don't know if I would ever I would even think to put them in the neurohop category. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I like in that lane that I don't think sounds anything like them.
1: I think that they were the catalyst to push the genre forward or to push that particular sound forward. But I think that, you know, for lack of better terms or better description, they ascended beyond that. And they said, well, there's so much more that we can do. And I think that's part of the reason why we all, you know, for anybody that listens to them is just like these are the coolest, you know, some of the coolest producers ever. Because, you know, album after album, they're not afraid to do different things. And they've figured out how to, kind of like what I was talking about before, make something that was kind of abstract and obscure really digestible. And I don't know if, if and feel free to disagree, this is just a personal philosophy, but I find that a lot of times for the people that are making like popular music now, they're starting to take ideas from the obscure realm, and it almost makes it seem like they're way behind on things. For example, how long did it take uh, Future Bass and all that stuff to get to where it was and what were they doing, you know, right before the people of their time? But now suddenly that kind of style of music is all of a sudden acceptable. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been that would have been the underground thing.
0: Right. I mean, I think that's I mean, that's it, obviously a lot of like, you know, your sort of ticket to being, I guess, quote unquote, original is sort of just pulling from more obscure places And unfortunately, then pulling those things to light where then they become ubiquitous and like, you know, boring within, you know, three years can take a very obscure genre and just kill it by having someone make it into something very digestible.
2: Just just song after song, after song, after song of the same thing.
1: Right. I I guess like part of it, too, though, and um, I guess sorry for getting a little bit off track, but one of the points that I wanted to make is kind of like figuring out obviously, we're in a three d realm and a three d space and and all that stuff. So it's not just your' one or the other, but I think that it's very easy to kind of fall into that of being like, well, where do you want to sit? you know, where do you where what kind of place do you want to have within the communities that you delve in? Do you want to, you know, try to, I guess, make music that is digestible and popular or, you know, be on the forefront of that? Or do you want to be on the forefront of trying to make stuff that's really different, that's going to kind of set the precedents for music that's going to happen in the next, you know, 10, 12 years or whatever. Right. I, mean, I, I, think, I that, think
0: that most people aren't in either of those lanes, though. I think most people are honestly just following their bliss into a certain amount of, like, histrionics. Do you think so? I mean... I, I think so. I mean, I think if you look at, like, the community a lot, like, the community of people who make music at large, you
1: know? Yeah, I, maybe my perspective isn't large enough, you know, to, to maybe see the bigger picture. I f- find that maybe that's the position that I find myself in, so maybe I'm speaking for everybody else. But at the right. same time, I also feel like with certain characteristics of um, people that are searching for particular sounds anyways... Um, people that are wanting to incorporate things that certain artists are doing it kind of gravitates them towards one of the other um, For example, you know somebody that wants to make trap is more likely to look up something That's going to be 808 ish that has been around for a long time or super saws for future base versus somebody digging through dogs on acid through the internet you know looking for neuro bases like we all did in 2014 and um I kind of feel like the type of information and in sound design that you look for in that nature kind of exposes you to that kind of stuff, whether you are aware of it or not.
2: I think, right. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in, totally inclined to agree with that. Um, I, I tend to prefer future bass. And, you know, like if I hear a good future bass song, I'm like, oh, what were they doing with that sound design? And all the other stuff kind of falls by the wayside if I'm if I'm stuck on one particular feature based song
1: Yeah, and you know, like I said, I think that it's more of just an observation as opposed to a judgment And I hope that that's very clear that it's coming off that way Um, Absolutely, but at the same time um, I do try to I do try to consider other people's and other other producers perspectives of like what it is that They're wanting to do and what it is and how to get them there Part of that is my responsibility, for one, as a YouTube content creator, right? Right. Um, But the other side of that is to just say, okay, well, how do we bridge the gap? And why would you want to bridge the gap? And um, I find that, personally, for me, the reason why I want to do that is because the more integrated that people are, it's not like... The interesting thing is that it's not like the people that I was talking about and being on the forefront of cutting, you know, cutting cutting-edge techniques or, or production styles or whatever, I'm not saying that they know how to do all this other these other things. I think that they just kind of ignore some of the middle grounds in between and go for a specific thing. For example, I think that, you know, if you're just starting sound design, most people would look for a subtractive synth to understand the basics of that, where a lot of people in the glitch community might skip that and just go straight into granular synthesis. So, you know, but... Having this fluency or having this, uh, sorry, I think transparency would be a better place to have that within a community, I think would ultimately benefit everybody because then you can fill in the gaps and then you can have a much more, a much larger web in order to pull from, from information and all this stuff in order to be able to kind of interact and shape the old, you know, your own sound or your own kind of creation that you want to do. And then there's the whole music theory and musicality side of things. And, you know, that's a whole different different thing
0: right absolutely i mean i think i think i'm very sort of squarely on that side like i kind of i guess when i'm writing stuff i sort of have the audience in mind and know that you know 90 percent of the people who listen to it are producers and because of that i'm have an impulse to you know mess with granular and mess with you know creating like overly complex things because i know that's what that audience sort of wants
1: Right. You know? Yeah. And I guess that kind of, that kind of goes into play too, right? Because like, if you're surrounding yourself with a particular kind of community, you know, like, I'm not saying by any means that, that, that being influenced in that way is bad. But, you know, if you're in a community, then you're naturally influenced. And so that kind of will gravitate you towards, you know, doing different things that, you know, had you been in a hip hop community that you might, you might say differently.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's, I want to kind of, I guess, clarify there. I think it's for the better, you know, that you do have those kind of things than that you are, I guess, because on every level, you know, you are making something for an audience, whether it be your friends or if you're going for, you know, trying to do something more in the pop realm, you're trying to make it for everyone. Right. You know, there's always kind of something guiding the missile.
1: True. There has to be. Um, well, there doesn't have to be, but it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to kind of and you would probably know this better than I do, but to set up goals and to find a path when you have, you know, a destination at the end. Or you have a desired uh direction or I I guess even imaginative endpoint that you want to end up at.
0: Right.
2: Okay, I, are, mean, I I. It, at least for me, uh, in terms of, you know, audience perspective and all that I just do, you know, I, I write what sounds good to me at the time. Um, and music has always defined me. It's always been an emotional outlet for me. Um, so whatever my emotions are at that time, as long as what I'm writing sounds good and kind of matches that tone that I'm trying to relay, I'm happy with it, you know, kind of alchemy, what you were talking about with the, with the being instead of doing, Music has always been just just me. It's always just kind of exuded from me in every four.
1: That's pretty interesting. Do you um, do you guys feel like it's kind of like what we were talking about before, um, specifically with uh, um kind of way that he approaches music? Do you guys feel like it's easy for you to access emotion through the DAW? Uh,
0: me? No. Um. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure.
1: I guess like, you know, there's I'm I'm kind of fascinated with awareness, right? And how much right. goes into what people are doing, um, whether it be through just pure imagination or imagination with intent. But I guess like how easy is it for you all to say, you know what, like I have a deep emotional feeling or, or something that that really needs to be communicated. And. I'm going to put this into the computer.
0: Um I find that I those are the works that I am most fond of, but that no one else can adequately stomach, I guess. Would be a very polite way of saying it.
1: Mm, sorry, let me let me try to clarify. Um
0: No, I understand I understand what you're saying. Um I'm saying I guess I have I mean I think it's something difficult. I think I'm usually chasing like sounds or like technical, more technical or sound ideas rather than like emotion. And then when I write from a place of emotion, it tends to not, not that it doesn't translate well, but that it doesn't work as well
1: with an audience. Yeah. Sorry for misunderstanding.
0: All good.
2: I think, I mean, for me, Uh, you know, it's, it's no secret that I've been playing piano for a long time. Uh, if I'm trying to tap into emotion, I will play it out on the piano and then transfer that into the DAW and kind of clean it up a little bit and add layers. But the, the foundation of the emotion will come from me actually playing the piano.
1: Yeah, that's a great gateway for sure. Um I have a friend that she she's a composer, and she also plays and stuff. And just the way that she interprets music primarily, I would say that there is a difference between a musician and producer. no offense to anybody, but they're just they are two different skill sets yep. regarding around the same output, right <laughs> but the the interpretation of how somebody accesses that stuff as a musician is really fascinating just because it's so different, like kind of like what you were saying of chasing sounds and then, figuring out how your emotion comes into play with that or like how it, I guess like there's a certain point that it reveals itself, right. Versus having some kind of emotional intent and then seeing what that shapes into. And then kind of like, it's the same, it's, I guess the, almost the same formula, just which parts come first. Like what's the order of the, of the ingredients.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, I'm more, a lot more where I'll sort of, you know, something has to work for me emotionally, I guess, rather than the emotion is the generator. Where do you find yourself
1: on that? And honestly <laughs> I just try to make cool sounds and make it work in a track.
0: I think that's I think that's <laughs> most I think that's most producers. I think yeah. maybe it's a lot less a percentage of musicians or maybe I just talk to a lot less musicians than I do producers.
1: But I mean it, so, like, all right, so um, there is there is a little bit of a different a different kind of take that I've found that has been really fun to do. Um, by nature, it's kind of weird because I'm naturally musically inclined, I'd say. Um, but at the same time, the technical understanding that I have of melody and harmony, etc., is very basic, very rudimentary. So I find myself writing the same melodies and stuff all the time. And um, I recently released a couple of pieces of music that almost had very little to no musical aspects of them other than having a fundamental to identify the key of the track. But what I did instead was I said, "Okay, well, instead of trying to go for the melody route, I'm going to go for an actual place. I'm going to go for soundscaping. And so for a lot of these tunes, what I did was um, I Pulled up a picture of something, and then I did a soundscape to it, and I made that part of the story of the track. And that's not something that I came up with myself. Um, that was a that was a skill that was taught to me that I had embraced um, from from frequent. But it's something that really came alive, and something that really helped spark my kind of creativity for doing this kind of music, and also just like having fun with it, and not feeling like I need to figure out a chord progression. Right. It's um an interesting thing, too, because like if we're trying to chase an emotion and we're trying to chase a vibe, you know, when we think of music, we have this one to one connection that, you know, most of the time emotion converts to to melody and harmony. But because we have access to sound and because our ears are so articulated in so many ways, we can divert so many different kinds of emotion just by putting somebody in a physical place or helping somebody connect their imagination to what it is that they're hearing, I guess would be the way to place it. For example, if you wanted to feel calm or something, right? Like you can create a soundscape that is somewhat reminiscent of a meadow. If you have kind of like, I don't know, maybe you go out and you sample something from Foley of like wind in the flowers and you hear kids playing or something, right? You, you kind of know where you are and what you're supposed to feel in that, in that realm. Likewise, if you make something that has a lot of convolution reverb and is really dark and sounds like a dungeon and stuff, you kind of are like, oh yeah, like this probably is like some spooky place or whatever because I recognize what some of these sounds are like. I've kind of mm-hmm. uh said it in one of my videos, but we are so good at ide- identifying sound naturally. And um man, sorry. Like from when we're little kids, the aspect of like having that little spinning thing, right? Like the cow goes moo, uh, the sheep goes bah, right? We can like, we've already kind of set ourselves up to hearing those kinds of things. I literally just
2: saw that toy in my brain when you said those sounds.
1: Exactly, right? You know those things. Um, But that's because it teaches us how to identify, you know, things with with hearing. And that's why hearing or, or sound in general is a beautiful thing. And so there's so many other different ways to kind of approach that without trying to do it musically. I honestly want to say that doing it musically is one of the hardest ways.
0: Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I think absolutely, because I think I think you're right in that it is very, you know, abstract. Um, and that it's hard to, like, kind of, I guess, make that happen one-to-one, well, one, I mean, you know?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, then you get into the realm of it can be one-to-one for the artist but your audience can pick up on anything they want which it's a beautiful thing but you know i've i've written songs you know this is going to be cliche but throughout high school over girls i had crushes on just on piano and to me that's a representation of how i felt about them anybody else that hears it they don't they don't pick up, they don't know who she was or is or anything. They just they're just hearing the music and it takes them to their own space.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's that's, you know, that's one of the biggest reasons why I say that melody and harmony is one of the hardest things to to kind of to kind of shape in that sense. Um, There's so much more to whether or not something is in a major key or a minor key, right? Right. Um, Because you can't actively say with words I guess you can you can of course apply melody to words and stuff you know but but there's the amount of interpretation that is open with that stuff is incredibly complex and it's something that I don't really not necessarily don't want to talk about but something that I have no really big right to talk about other than understanding the sheer scope of that whereas right. um, when you're actually shaping a particular environment you know it's a lot easier to kind of tell what's going on at least at some point right
0: yeah, no, I think it's a lot easier to kind of paint a picture of where you are than what's happening there. I mean, I'm getting ready. I have a podcast I'm going on where I'm talking about a very specific song by um, a specific artist. I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around like how I'm going to talk about like an individual song for an hour when I kind of don't fully grasp what it means to me. You know,
2: that's going to be no. a challenge. A whole hour for one song.
1: Yeah. I guess um, you can you can always go into something technical and um, you can always say, you know, at this part right here of, you know, 55 seconds in, you know, there was this thing where there is this relationship between the sounds that wanted to talk to each other, which goes into another aspect of um, scope of call and response, not necessarily saying that's where we need to go for that direction, but um, that's another kind of tool, right? but whenever you have these kind of nuances and i always think about doing that in glitch or whatever or whenever you have insert like a specific counter melody sometimes that helps you identify what's happening within the nuance of the track as opposed to the overall feel right um, and sometimes it's okay to not know if that makes sense you know if somebody's like well what is this track about <clears throat> i don't know <laughs> and why do i have to know why right. does that have to be you know why do i have to say that this is a specific um, a specific thing or why do I have to stick a label on this when the whole idea of music is to kind of interpret it in the first place and yeah. you know n- not as a caveat but sometimes I'd be more interested in saying well what did you get out of it Um, if I were the one that who wrote the tune as opposed to trying to tell you because that's part of the fun right
0: 90% of what people are going to get out of an EDM song or like in just an electronic song in general is what you title it and the artwork you associate with it mm. You know, like, if I just gave a song, you know, the title, like, I guess, let's be vulgar and say, Hammer Smash Cock, you know, and it's like this very peaceful song, you're going to, you know, interpret that very peaceful song, you know, very differently.
1: That's very true. What about I think, when...
2: I I, I kind of leave that up to the audience, uh, and and Hype and I went out, you know, went through this with my last single release, The Shadows, I, I just sent him, you know... Like my folder for my DAW is all just work in progress underscore one, work in progress underscore two.
0: Right. But by the act of putting the title, the shadows on it, you're painting a very specific picture of it, you know?
2: Right. But it was a, the term was derived from you and I discussing what, what that emotion felt and what the song should be titled. It wasn't me telling you, Hey, Hey, This song's called The Shadows, check it out. It was, I don't know what to name this, what do you think? And then we talked about it, it was a discussion.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that that if in that particular situation, if somebody is able to look at the artwork and um, read the title before they listen to it, then yeah, absolutely. But what about when you play a song for a friend Or what about when it's being played out live and you've never you have no idea who the artist or what the song is right
0: right i mean yeah i think you it hits you very differently
1: and um sometimes that's kind of cool right and sometimes that's kind of i think that it's a tool and kind of having that awareness with that kind of thing will allow you to kind of shape the story that you want to tell as well Um, There's no question about it that the power of influence between reading a title and looking at the artwork is going to kind of set something up. Unless if you want to do like a purposeful meme, which I think would be genius. Um, But in other words, you know, sometimes having something that has the ability to do that or the way that you present that kind of music with somebody else. Like maybe it's just maybe I'm just going to release an alchemy tune and I'm going to title it. Blank. Hell (laughs) or. Or. You know, some kind of special character or, you know, something that is not readable or maybe it's in a different language or, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, Bill, in that conversation, Bill was uh, talking about that where he sent Deadmau5 a song that had the working title 10.8 because that was just the version of the song he was on. And then Deadmau5 didn't even bother asking him and just put it out under that name. And that's why that song has the name Ten-Eight.
2: <laughs> that's actually perfect. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, um. I find that it would probably be hard to impress Mr. Bill because he's just so freaking smart. I can't really think of anything that he hasn't like had his hand in. Um, and I mean that in a good way, you know. but hasn't had his hand in with uh, sound design aspects or even compositional aspects. And um, yeah, I, I would hope to to have a conversation with him one day, maybe over tea and crumpets or something. But that's that's uh, I don't know. Imagine if his information was like the norm within the community, because obviously, you know, he is the, the amount of stuff that he knows is way beyond, you know, even producers that are big and have, you know, huge releases, right? But right. imagine if both his technical and musical understanding was something that was a norm within the community here. Um, that would be an amazing thing to see, and to see where music evolves from that point.
0: Yeah, it'd be insane. It'd be really, cool. I think, very good for music, because I think there are a lot of people who have like, at like a, like some of the technical chops, and then just can't write a song. Like there are so many people that are like around his like. I guess sphere who like don't even put out songs. They just put out like crazy samples all the time.
1: Right. Which, you know, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, I guess there's something to be said with like having a particular limitation, right. Of, uh, that's what influences your music is, are your limitations. But I guess, I guess I'm always trying to just look at like, all right, well, what's next? You know, what is, what comes after this? You know, say you've mastered a specific sound, you know, or people have this, you know, huge depth of technical skill and musical skill. Well, how can it evolve from here? Um, Right. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, reinventing the wheel and, you know, making something that was old, new again and all that stuff. But it's kind of... um. I kind of wonder about those questions, especially with sound design as uh, synthesizers and programs and stuff come out that make sounds that used to be incredibly difficult to make, you know, readily available in two, three minutes.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something I think about a lot now, especially because, you know, we're sort of at the sort of like timbral apex in like music.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: Um, and we're like, even harmony is kind of like changing because there's like such a concentrated movement away from like, I guess, 12 tone harmony, because we're sort of seeing not only is it kind of limited and I wouldn't say exhausted, but you know, they're clearly, it's really showing its limits in some way. That if like everyone can write within 12 notes and everyone can write a song, like, well, every melody that could possibly be written is going to happen pretty fast.
1: If it hasn't been done already, right? I think exactly. it already
0: has. I mean probably,
1: um, yeah. But, you know, in regards to that, you know, if you're looking at something directly from a sound perspective, um I think that over time, in order for music to evolve, I think that also our ears are going to have to evolve in a way because numbers are infinite within division and, and whatnot, and which is kind of an oxymoron, I guess. But you know, there's only a frequency range of, you know, zero or we can only hear from, you know, zero hertz or whatever to um, to like 1520 K. Right. So, you know, within all that stuff, there's only so many sounds that we can shape or so many frequency things that we can kind of create within that that are completely unique, I guess.
0: Yeah, but I but I do think that that palette is like still evolving considerably, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't think that we're reaching the end by any means, but at the same time, um, you know, that it is understanding of that that means to an end, right? But imagine if we had like the hearing of up to 30k, up to 50k, you know, like mice or something, right? And there's just all of this crazy stuff that happens between that. So, right. I think that as we evolve, naturally the music is going to have to evolve as well, but but in saying that kind of stuff, there's only, you know, I don't know how far along you guys are on your sound design because I haven't heard your music. I'd be happy to go listen to it later and stuff. But, you know, there's a billion different ways to shape a quote-unquote neuro base. But at the same time, there are certain characteristics within it that are readily definable. For example, you know when something falls into a sine wave or when something falls into a square wave or when something falls into a saw and X, Y, Z. You can, We can usually identify that part. So creating stuff that is untraceable, I think, would be a really cool way to advance the music in general as well.
0: I mean, I think a lot of, like, granular stuff is, like, getting into that territory.
1: Don't you kind of feel like even granular, though, like, has like, you can you might not be able to tell what the source is, but you can usually tell when something is granular.
0: Um. Yes and yes and no. I mean, I think I think it's tough. I think most things granular just sound very formanty. I guess, from what I've experienced.
1: I think like there's this, um, how do I say within granular, or at least in the contexts that I've heard them in, um, there's just this, uh, this spacing that you hear between the partials that kind of give it away for me. And, um, you know, if you take a granular synth and like you turn up the size or whatever, depending on what kind of granular synth that you use or whatever, um, you start to hear when something is smeared or when something is pulled apart that makes it sound like, quote unquote, choppy. Right. Um, because Actually, like. Can
0: I ask you kind of a more, I guess, prosaic question? What granular sense do you use in your production?
1: Yeah, um, I use. So I'm in Bitwig Studio these days. OK,
0: same. Same, another and, Bitwig boy.
1: Yeah, hell yeah. Um, no, uh, So I use the sampler within that primarily because it's really good and I would also reach towards portal more than likely.
0: Oh, what's that? I've never even heard of that.
1: Portal is from output. It's probably the only thing that I can personally recommend through all the things that I purchased, but um, it's actually a granular effect. So instead of you putting a source into it, you set it in your effects chain. And when you push play, or when you play a note depending on if it's audio or midi it doesn't really matter it will output granular sound but the cool thing about it is that it has the potential to do it in a rhythmic way so you can set it to certain beat divisions and uh, do all kinds of like pitching and stuff with it that will make it at least rhythmic if it's not like audible through like harmonic means or whatever right right it's it's an amazing tool and it's something that this kind of all came together at once, but Phase Plant happened, or I got Portal, and then I got Phase Plant, and then I got Bitwig, and like that just kind of set my sound design course to it. it it's evolved so much in the past year from just those tools.
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect. That makes very perfect sense. Um, yeah, what, I mean, what? Bitwig is incredible for that kind of thing. And I mean, as this phase plant with the sort of unlimited kind of ability of it,
1: I I plan has just blown blown me out of the water. Every time I open it, I learn something new. <laughs> and I think that the the accessible nature from it, and uh, I guess the accessible nature, but also the amount of depth that it offers, like in between, and the the path that it shows you to kind of explore in that is so at least for me, in my experience, right, because I can only say for me, but it's been so easy to kind of be like, all right, well, you know, all right, I know how to make an FM base or I know how to do modulation with this, but all right, well, what happens if we randomize this or what happens if we kind of do all this cross-modulation and stuff? And from that, right. that's kind of how the whole generator thing was was born from, you know, from those things that I've been releasing lately.
0: that is you were going to say something?
2: I was, I was just going to... Kind of touch base on. Uh, you said Portal is is the one thing that you downloaded that you said you would recommend. Uh, mm-hmm. What are, what are some of the, the VSTs and some of your downloads that that you don't like?
1: Bottom I own Re- I own Rev. Um, I own Movement. I own. I still have I have Signal. I think those are the other three products that I've bought from them. And I guess just for me and my personal workflow, it didn't really work out in a way that I've been able to kind of be like, oh, I can recommend this. I'm not saying that they're bad by any means. Right. But for one, uh, most of those are incredibly CPU hungry. And for the amount of variation that you can do with them, you know, I, I don't know. In general, like, I'm very, like, for Rompler's, Um, Movement is an effect, but Bitwig kind of makes that irrelevant. And then also Ableton made that irrelevant with having the ability to do all the stuff that movement is trying to achieve. Um, But with something like Signal and Rev, those are, you know, those are romplers. They're samples that you can kind of play back and that, you know, you can kind of do like some kind of cool changing and stuff, but... I get really downed by things that you can't import your own samples from, especially when it's a contact instrument or something. You know, it's like, or having like when Signal first came out, they have these like four like macro uh, slider knobs or whatever, and you couldn't change. You couldn't change what those were. And I was like, so basically you're stuck to these presets that have these preset uh, effects that you can only kind of go back and forth in between. But then a lot of times they'll market it as like, you know, infinite sound design possibilities and stuff. And I'm like, I guess that's true. But. But not really, you know. <laughs> right. Um, they sound good. They the sound quality is definitely high up there um, with rev in particular. I found that most of the presets sounded the same to me. And uh, yeah, I just I, I just wasn't for me. Some people swear by exhale. Some people swear by sub, what is it, sub lab or something. Um, but I'm like, I'd just rather make my own. I'd rather make my own bass. Uh, I'd rather just go sample a vocal that that has a particular characteristic or has a more humanistic characteristic as opposed to, you know, having an engine or something.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I always thought it was fine, like... Purpose built, since in that sort of way, I guess beyond something that's like monophonic versus polyphonic, to be kind of an odd thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, for the price, it's catering to a very specific audience. And right.
0: well, they're also usually, I guess, on the more affordable side. If like something's built like just to do subs or just to do risers, I guess.
1: I kind of feel like, um, well, with output specifically, I kind of feel like their products are are a little pricey. Um, I think that like exhale was like 200 bucks to achieve one very specific thing where, you know, if you have any idea about what sound design is, you can literally sample your own voice from an iPhone, put it at a high pass, reverse it and add a reverb to it and get the same effect. Um, so, you know, maybe that's just me kind of, kind of flaunting sound design stuff or whatever, but... Right. I, you know, when you have when you kind of have that understanding and for me when I'm like, this is how easy this is, or this is the a super simple approach to to doing something without spending two hundred dollars. I'm like, why would you spend two hundred dollars when that can go towards something that will help you learn and something that will last you that has like a longer shelf life. Right.
0: Right. Like, you know, buying phase Pioneer Serum or something
1: yeah exactly and you know i get it i get it you like some people not everybody wants to be a sound designer and there's definitely something to be said for that but for you to use programs and vsts and all that like in order for you to make an informed purchase i think that there has to be some degree of you knowing you know something about something
0: right, you right. Can, you,
1: yeah i i can't see how you can't i can't see how you can Work on a computer for music and not know something about sound design, especially even if you mix, even if you master, like because all of those effects, all of those you know things that process audio signals are in some way or another sound design.
0: All right. Um, speaking of sound design, what do you think if you had like a get put a list of your top five favorite animals, what do you think those would be?
1: The animals animals man i love foxes um there we go
0: oh good pick
1: that was a good pick um, uh foxes are probably my number one thing i have a tattoo of a fox um, nice that would be that would be number number one
2: and is that I, like an actual fox or like the metal gear solid fox logo like where are we at here
1: or just like an attractive woman
0: and i guess like <laughs> with, metal. With like a fox tail or something <laughs>
1: <laughs> you be the judge. Check it out on my OnlyFans. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but um, no, it's it's a tribal fox, and uh, it, it's it's not it's not the MGS fox. Although I wouldn't have been opposed to that, honestly, anyway. Um, but yeah, foxes are awesome. They I like I just like the the nature of, of how they interact and how independent they are. Right, um, right.
0: I mean, like, no one even knows what they sound like.
1: Right, exactly. There's like a super viral song about it if you haven't heard it, which is annoying as hell, but don't put it in my head. (laughs) Let's all can we all like make a pact not to sing it, please?
0: Oh, wait, what what song are we talking about?
1: Don't 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 even do it. Uh, What does the fox say?
0: What does the fox say? Yeah, I believe it goes. uh, Yip, 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 pow. Ha ha, he did it. Yip, 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 pow.
1: He broke the pact. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, way to go on establishing trust here. Um, I'm here to push sound so yeah. for you. <laughs> penguins are awesome. That as song well. is now the outro, by the way. Penguins uh, are
0: awesome. Legally cannot do that. Legally. I'm not <laughs> going to miss that. That's a fair point.
1: <laughs> um, penguins. Really, penguins. I really like octopus.
0: Like there's like a food or like as a creature,
1: as a creature. Um, oh, the, yeah. the intelligence that they have is just, you know, of course, through the roof, but their adaptability and their um, their natural ability right, to, to change their texture, to change their uh, to change their color and all that stuff. And the way that they hunt is is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, there's like something definitely very terrifying about them that sort of makes you like reassess the intelligence of animals in general.
1: Yeah, like, so what if they can't speak English, right? <laughs> um, right well, that's probably outsmart you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well I think about that with, like, I guess my cat, because she's, like, a year old now, i like, watched her kind of get, like, smarter, and I'm sort of more trying to, like, understand what she understands, you know? And what I'm projecting on her as her intelligence.
2: Give it six more months, bro.
1: Yeah, right. Like it's already plotting your death like every other uh-huh. cat.
2: Oh, yeah. Give it six more months.
1: That's just why you have to be prepared and like bust out the red pen, you know, and anytime that it looks menacing towards you, you have to throw a distraction out.
0: I heard the dumbest joke about that on another podcast um, that was like years old, but it was great. It was that you take a laser pointer, but you make it a white light and you plug the bat signal on it. And then you have your cat, just like Batman, chasing around like the bat signal.
1: Speaking of, sorry. I, yeah, know hey. how to do that. <laughs> what? Oh, I don't know if you heard my dogs barking or not, but they're pretty—they're uh, pretty adamant about saying hi on podcasts and streams too.
0: Well, you know.
1: Yeah. Oh good. It, It's, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I just like animals in general are really fascinating and I really like learning about all of them from how, how their environment has shaped, I guess for one, their biology, but two, like their hunting patterns or, you know, their, the way that they survive. Like tardigrades, right? Like nobody really talks about those. Um, but they're like virtually indestructible.
2: Right. Yeah, they can they can survive and, space for like years, can't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, they they can like live in magma. You know, <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> what what else can do that? Um, that's I pretty those are, for a very short amount of time. I, I listen. I wouldn't want to dip my hand in there. You wouldn't Not have a hand okay. when it came up. I don't care if I have a super suit or whatever. That's I. You could pay me $10 billion. I would not jump in lava. That's just... No. Oh,
0: for $10 billion, I'm 100% jumping in lava. You know how much more good I could do with that $10 billion than good I'm going to be able to do across my own life?
1: Maybe. Or, you know, you could start a campaign about, like, hey, don't jump in the lava.
0: Or I take that $10 billion and I just... You know, elevate the lives of a bunch of people in a meaningful way, and be like, okay, I've you know, I've done my good for the world. Bye now, everyone.
1: You've spoken like a true hero. I'm I'm a little bit more skeptic. I'd have to be like, all right, well, where is this money going, and who's going to enforce that?
0: Well, I mean, that part of it is obvious. Like the legalities of it are kind of, I guess, difficult. Right. Because I feel like but, there's like a very easy insanity plea where someone's like. Where you know, as soon as that goes to court, they're like, "And yeah, I, it's, it's in writing." But who would be crazy enough to take that up? This guy was mentally insane. I don't know him. Shit.
1: Yeah, true. Hence, the, you know, that's just why I wouldn't jump in some lava, even for some money, because the I wouldn't come out. It's uh, I a mean, one way to give back to Mother Earth, right?
0: Right. <laughs> well it's yeah. well that's just my version of you know being in the cat jumping and t- jumping toward the um, you know the what's it called like the laser pointer with the bat signal on it
1: you guys uh, uh, I don't know if you guys have had oh, I'm sure you have and um, but have you guys ever walked into like a regular job interview or a group interview and they ask you that same kind of question they're like if you were you know a kind of animal like what would you be
0: no no really I've had th-
1: three a three job. Weird job my interview life. Question. <laughs> it's it's really not. There's actually like there's psychology behind it, but um, I guess if like you didn't you weren't like you didn't know, right, then that's kind of what that's prepared for. But they ask you those questions or questions like that to figure out what kind of worker you are. And that to makes f- sense. it's it's almost like um it's almost like a trick question to be honest, you know. So depending on what kind of job you're doing, right? Like there's these common answers that people give of like, you know, if, if you were an animal, what would you be? Yeah. Some people would say like, I'm an ant because ants, you know, work together or I'm a chameleon because I'm adaptable. Um, I am, you know, something of the sort. And some people like, it's always funny when people don't know the answer to those questions, they're just like, I'd be a dolphin. Okay. Why? I don't know, like, dolphins are cool, you know? Um, but as I just thought that was a funny kind of, like, aside from, from talking about animals. I can't believe you guys haven't been asked that question, though. That's like... I,
0: I can not even figure out which animal I'd be.
1: Whatever one is best for the job. Long story short. <laughs> Long story short. <laughs> no,
0: but I'm, I, I'm, I'm, not that, I'm not that person to, like, a costing-me-job-opportunities degree. <laughs> I think, yeah.
2: I think most of the most of the, the job interviews I've had have been work starts at 8 30 a.m. Can you lift 50 pounds? Yes. Cool. Here's a job.
0: Like I, right. I have actually a great job interview story. Um a friend of mine and I applied for a job and he ended up getting it and not me. Um you may know him as Pat Sandwich. <laughs> you may end up knowing him as Pat Sandwich, but um The uh, reason he got the job, not me, was revealed to him. And the uh, guy who hired him said, um, at this architecture office, we tend to, you know, leave our egos at the door and tend to, you know, leave the design to what the client needs. Oh. And I don't, I mean, but you say, oh, but I don't, that's not an insult to me because I am very much of the philosophy that if I'm in a creative field, which, you know, like a musician or, you know, what I do i don't see why you wouldn't would hire me if you need just someone to do do what you want to do like i would prefer to be hired because someone wants like my interpretation of things
2: oh no for sure i i I said oof because you and i have been debating your ego publicly in the chat for a couple days
0: (laughs) what do you make of this
1: <laughs> um I uh well I'd rather not not play mediator here if possible at least not on podcast uh, but if you guys need some help then you can message me later. Um but in regards to that I do think I do understand that sentiment of what people are you know hiring for X Y and Z but I think that there also has to be you know Yes, there's like architecture, I believe, is is a creative endeavor in a lot of means and stuff. But there's also like a foundation and and a system to what makes something possible in the first place. Right. In order for something to last a long time or for something to actually be structurally sound. And and to for somebody to be like, yo, like it's got to look exactly like this. And it might be some like most jank, twisted, crooked looking thing ever. And it's like, listen, like this might not, you know what if we did this that could save you you know thousands of dollars or something i i couldn't even imagine what kind of situations you might run into that but but yeah that's that's kind of why why i do that i think that like I, I agree with what you just said like for somebody to hire you i feel like there has to be a little bit of creative leeway in between that you know and like the thing is too is like with architecture like once the job is done there's it's really difficult to do any kind of revisions whatsoever
0: Right. But I mean, I think, but we're not, you know, we're not here. This isn't uh, my therapy corner, uh, today.
1: I just think that, you know, I think that, uh, I actually was just explaining why I said oof, because that kind of goes into a lot of things, um, for anything creative that you do, right. Where people have, I've had specific clients for, for other things. Um, for example, um, I've worked with people in private lessons and stuff. And like, um, whenever I was teaching, it's called tricking, it's like acrobatic martial arts. That's actually what I used to do before before I got into music. I was uh, formerly from Cirque du Soleil. Um, people would come to me and be like, my kid needs this trick and they need it today. And, you know, I'm like, first of all, like if that's the attitude that you have, like you're already putting pressure on your kid that's going to like create dissonance between your relationship between them. But second of all, like there is this huge list of prerequisites to have before you can even take that leap.
0: Right, exactly.
2: can, can and, we backtrack can we backtrack a second? You were like you were a performer in Cirque du Soleil?
1: Yeah. Okay, that's dope. It's like, um Yeah, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna toot my own horn too much, but it was the best job that I've well that lifestyle was the best. <laughs> best thing ever
2: yeah well okay. was, i mean were you were you in vegas or were you like on tour
1: um so one show i was in vegas one show i was on tour uh the first show that i got into wasn't circus soleil but it was it was a, a circus show um in tennessee um what was the in
0: Vegas? do you, if you mind me asking
1: um i worked for chris angel show oh, uh, gotcha. mind freak yes um i was uh one of the the dreads where these people have masks, they look like Predator and they help with the magic and do flips and stuff. Um, let's see, I did a Marvel Universe Live and that was the touring show. Um, I was the backup Iron Fist.
0: Nice.
1: And then, um, for Tennessee, I was it, she wasn't in the show, but it was Dolly Parton's Lumberjack Adventure, which was just a it was kind of like a musical thing. And um, there was lots of tumbling. There was uh, poles, uh, Chinese poles, And uh, there were other apparatuses that I didn't do that I was always interested in doing. But I just like I was very weirded out and kind of like afraid of getting onto those. Like if you guys ever get yourself on a teeter board, it's almost like somebody is like sentencing you to death. Is one of the scariest things ever. Very thrilling, but I wouldn't recommend teeter board as like (laughs) as a profession. It's terrifying.
2: Teeter teeter boards are on equal par with lava for me. Like you're not going to find me there.
1: Yeah, I never minded going off of them on like uh, like on hooks, you know, or on a harness where like if you mess up or whatever, then, you know, you're okay. But the amount of precision that goes into it on everyone's account is so so hard to get consistent
0: yeah i had kind of um i saw i guess i saw a Cirque du show in vegas when i was like 15 and i found myself almost unable to like enjoy it because of that like i couldn't distance myself from like the terror of like the precision that the people were working within as they were doing things
1: yeah, there are certain things that um, that are the amount of danger that's involved within that stuff is very like even for me for the kinds of things that I do there are still things that I would look at and be like I wouldn't do that but at the same time like the there's this the the certain amount of mutual respect that all the performers have for each other is almost kind of like relative to, I would almost say like samurai and ninja and stuff, right? Because they love what they do so much that they're almost like accepting death in a sense, you know? They're like, if I die doing this, I would be okay. Or like, right. I, this is a great way to, to go out. Um, but the other side of that, the realistic side of that, is that they spend so much time with the precision that they that they execute that all the tricks that they do they never do anything that's actually difficult to them, um, right? which is an interesting thing, you know, because like nobody really knows how good these these performers are. And I'm not talking about myself, but I'm just talking about from what I've what I've realized from from these guys. But the thing is, is that you can't really do all of your hardest tricks in a show because you have to do it five times, you know, five to ten times is you know, sometimes more every week.
0: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, so, I think a lot of I think a lot of art is like that.
1: Yeah. Right. And so, you know, if you're out there throwing a triple backflip every day, like your shelf life of being able to perform is not going to be very long. There's no longevity in that because you're killing yourself on doing the hardest trick where it's just as easy to impress somebody with a single flip.
0: All right. It's really hurt this uh, professional wrestler by the name of uh, Kenny Omega's career in some ways is that he's now on a weekly show as opposed to like performing once every like few months at a very high level.
1: Yeah. Um, I haven't heard of him, but but, you know, but I imagine that the amount of stuff that he's doing would likely be a lot more tame and a lot more easier on the body. Or I guess maybe or maybe he's gotten himself to a level to which he can sustain that. Right. Because that's what it's all about is just sustainability.
0: Right. I mean, there is sustainability. But like you said, there's only so many times you can do do certain things in, I guess, your life. You know, there's only so many types of falls you can certain falls you can take.
1: Yeah, um, it, it's uh, true, and, and um, it, there's so many factors that go into play with that, right? Because it's not just about like like your your longevity relies on so many different things. You know, it relies on your health, it relies on your diet, it relies on your conditioning, it relies on training, which is a huge, huge thing. That I hope that um, that I hope that like uh, shows in the future are really adamant about about giving to their people, right? Um, and I don't want to talk about that industry or whatever, but that's just one thing that I really hope that people go back and revisit of being like, I want to make sure that you have the exact training you need to, to do this specific task before we throw you on. Um, cause there's usually a, a time limit or a deadline of like what you need to know before you can get on stage. So I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic between all those things, but, um, but yeah, you know, there's so many factors that kind of come into play with that beyond just your your own natural biological clock that can kind of either shorten that or lengthen that and that's been one of my personal journeys because I've been hurt for like 2 years and I'm just now recently being been able to go and do flips at the gym and stuff.
2: That's fascinating.
1: It's um it's a different, it's a different world f- in some cases, uh, I would consider it in in more ways than not without the glory and, and fame of being a professional athlete, but what a professional athlete means isn't what it, it usually is perceived to be, if that makes sense. Right. I'll add right on that. But it's more so like when I say professional athlete, it's more so just about like really just being about your health and your fitness. You know, and and really just trying to stay healthy, uh, relying on your body for, you know, physical exertion, whether that be for entertainment, whether it be for competition, whether it be for, um, I guess, being a fitness model, or you know, any of that stuff can can kind of translate, right? Like I mean, so if you you're
0: like your OnlyFans is it like your form, current form of. Being a professional athlete.
1: <laughs> well, sort of. You know, I was gonna say, like, even, you know, in some, you know, stripping, right, is still a professional athlete. Like you gotta there's a lot of physical things that you gotta do for that. Um, not that I'm a stripper, but right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah.
0: Well, doing, doing pornography, also
1: again, I'm an yet. aspiring stripper. Um, no, but but yeah, you know, there there is that degree, you know. If you you know, if you can't do those things, then you can't work.
2: Speaking of speaking of you know destroying yourself for the craft, uh, let's talk about your songwriting process.
1: Yeah, what do you guys want to know?
0: How does it How does it usually take place? Take shape.
1: Um, I have so like I I will discuss it, but just in case if you guys are interested, I have a bunch of production videos of me making a song um, from beginning to end on my YouTube channel. Um, but the kind, of, the kind of groove that I've gotten myself into is finding glitch cuts as quickly as possible and then trying to think about rhythm. And the way that I go about that, what I've been practicing lately is there's two different, well there's actually two different processes. The first one is I've been doing these face plant generators where I set this random modulation up to a billion different things and it generates sounds for me. And from there I go into processing them in a granular sense And then I uh, bounce those out to some kind of slicer or some kind of um, multi-sample thing and find little cuts through that as texture. The other way that I do it is I take a song instead of using the generators. And I think that I've had a lot more success, success doing it that way as opposed to the generator thing because it usually gives more sounds that I'm used to hearing that I have an imagination around if that makes sense. But from there, then um, after I kind of create a groove with that, then I start thinking about a drum pattern. Then I start thinking about um, adding bass texture to it. And from there, I've kind of let myself go from having like to think about making a really long song that's like three, four minutes long and just saying, OK, can I get the vibe down? And if the vibe is there, the only thing that I need to finish a track is an intro and outro and we're OK.
0: Right, absolutely.
1: Um, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever like killed yourselves over thinking about how you're going to come up with a second main section or like a second quote unquote drop or you know like a part B to your t- to your song? Literally every song I make.
0: Well, I haven't killed myself, but it is frustrating.
1: Yeah, and you know, the, to, to what degree between that and what amount of frustration people have and fight through that stuff, it can be really it could be really hard to keep someone's attention that long, especially with people's attention spans these days. Right. So in that regard, um, for me, I'm like, the kind of music that I'm making lately is incredibly abstract. And it, I can't really imagine people like even finishing what I make because it's just like, it's really weird and shit. And they're like, there's almost no harmonic content. There's nothing for people to latch on to. So, for me, I'm like, why not just make a two and a half minute song that conveys the idea and move along and let that kind of portray to a bigger picture that has a different a different um, sound palette or something or a different rhythm or something that changes to, in order to make things interesting or to keep things interesting, rather.
0: Right. So you know, I would say that you would put yourself very much in like the progressive, I guess, modality of music.
1: I think... Um, yeah I think that's okay to say um, I just I focus on rhythm and texture and cool sound design because that's what I spend all my time doing and I think that's one of the easiest ways to try to refine that skill set if that makes sense and something that I've learned is that creating a relationship between harmony or melodic content and glitchy abstractness um, there's a certain heaviness that I aspire to have within my own music that when you start to introduce melody and all that, it kind of can take away from that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've listened to at least half of your um, album of the infinite corridor. How recent is that?
1: That came out in May, I think. Or okay, I finished, so yeah. I finished that up in May. So would you um, consider
0: this more recent for you or like something that is that, is that behind you, I guess.
1: It's, um, it's a stepping stone for sure. Um, I wrote the infinite corridor first and then I, and then I wrote, um, the source of nightmares, which I released the source of nightmares first. And then I released the infinite corridor. I don't know why it just, it just, things just happen that way. Oh yeah. What happened was I waited because I tried to submit to some labels and I was like, I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to see if I can, uh, you know, get on a label or something. And you know, that didn't work out. Um, but you know, no big deal. And um, yeah, that's kind of how that came about. But the source of nightmares came after that. And that was kind of like a pinnacle of, of music writing for me this year because it had just a lot of really cool stuff that I liked putting into it. But I don't mind or I enjoy writing that kind of music because it's fun to do. And I don't have to worry about making something sound particularly specific. It's just distort the hell out of the sounds that I make and then, you know, create some kind of rhythm out of it and see what you come up with. Right. It's um, you know, I the old stuff that I used to do, which was uh, which was uh, insomnia. That was the first EP that I wrote. I wanted to have this like grand, this like grand, m- like masterpieces of having like really heavy basses with you know super melodic things to try to blend genres of like classical music or like Castlevania vibes with modern neuro production.
0: Right, but. I heard that, and I like. I immediately thought of Vada, so I was like, "Okay, you two are you two are like playing into the same spheres." He has that.
1: <laughs> That's Castle, super cool.
0: Castlevania vibe to a lot. I mean, even you can see it in, You know your logos here on Discord. You know
1: yeah yeah and, and it's um you know that that's something that like i draw a huge inspiration from well like video game music in general but i really love the baroque style of things and um i don't know if you've heard of Michiru Yamane, but she was a pioneer for like blending more like contemporary genres of like you know like your classical like jazz and rock or um like you know orchestral with some other kind of fusion or something and that was really cool and really inspiring because she found this relationship between the two of how to make those work. And for me, I kind of wanted to do the same thing. And then Cohen Sound um, blew that out of the water. And then um, Echo is also one of those one of those artists that uh, kind of does that as well. And at that point, I wasn't discouraged, but I was like. I don't know. I, at that point, I felt like I just wanted, I was like, okay, well, this is already being done and they're doing it in so, like, such amazing ways that I might want to explore something that is more dark, something that is just totally different than what people have heard. And so I started listening to, well, I didn't start listening to, but I started listening to a lot more of people like Audica. I got into Woog, um, Doc Kage. It's one of my favorite artists right now just because of how, like, dark and and visceral his music is. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Elon Moore, but that's like the pinnacle of oh, yeah everything <laughs> like yeah, yeah. everything Make that Elon you could want in music here. right um yeah, like Elon Moore is like I don't know, you can't even really describe how how amazing and how creative he is with his music so you know I'm like I'm just kind of I guess it was just kind of searching for something different if that makes sense, yeah, absolutely. And what about you guys, you know, where are you at with like, what, what are your production aspirations these days?
0: You first, us.
2: Uh I mean, honestly, for me, I'm just, I'm just in it to make music, you know, make, make what I like. And I hope other people like it too. I think that's, that's the most honest route. Um, you know, you, you were talking about the the fusion of different styles and, and the, I tend to go for that a little bit, even though it comes a little more subconsciously. Um, but I like—I don't know if you... It, it might be a little more mainstream, but have you heard of a guy named Apache? I haven't. So he's actually using, like, Beethoven and Mozart, like, recordings of those, and then flipping the script and making it just hard-style EDM.
1: Nice. Cool. So yes. I... Is it safe to compare it to, like, uh, what was that one guy that did that? Uh, oh, my gosh. Wolfgang Gardner, when he did the Symphony remix? Uh,
2: y- yes and no. I mean, Wolfgang has more of a... At least to me, he's always had more of a house vibe to him. Um, Apache is definitely more in the hard trap style. Um but he's also like, he's, and I'll send it to you. He's got one, I think it's called Majesty. Uh, no, it's Diaz Ire. And he's actually using Mozart's Diaz Ire as the backing. And they've got like rapping going on. And the drop is like, the sound design and the drop is amazing.
1: Interesting. It also brings up another question of like, what is. What does EDN mean to you guys these days?
0: Right. Um, well, for me to answer that question, I'm kind of, I'm exploring the, the overlap of progressive house and shoegaze right now and finding that to be a fun place to be in. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think for me, I guess, and especially for the kind of greater, um, speaking to what EDN means in the context of this podcast, I think it just means electronic music in general. At this point
1: yeah i go ahead sorry no no you're up go ahead yeah i um i don't know there's I, i there's so many different worlds of electronic music now and i've learned that some of them aren't exactly in the intention for dance you know right so but but i but i kind of feel like usually people have like not not everybody, but usually um, people usually have like a specific thing that they think about when they think of EDM now. Like for me, um, whenever I think of like modern EDM, the genre doesn't really matter, but I find that like there's a large prevalence of like super saw chords, you know, um, right. kind of like flume or, you know, what future bass was kind of built on. And it doesn't matter if it's in the context of you know, pop or house or whatever, but I hear it everywhere everywhere now
0: right. well i mean i think i think all genres are all genres are marketing um so i don't know if they're useful to me i guess in that sort of sense and i think i would maybe put pdm to mean music that is like product music that's primarily generated digitally i guess with the in that is also probably not necessarily vocally driven
1: yeah, I guess that would be like a, a literal, a literal definition, right? I mean, by definition, it is electronic dance music. Um, but I find that like before, like or I guess I can't really identify now whether people use it as that literal sense or as they kind of talk about EDM in general, like as a specific genre or as kind of like a, a type of music now. Um, there's just a lot of gray area within that and it doesn't, like, what it actually means doesn't really matter, but it is interesting to kind of ask people what, how they see it.
0: Right. I mean, another kind of, I guess, more flippant answer would be EDM means to whatever genre within it is currently the most popular in the eyes of the average fan.
1: Yeah, popular, popular dance music made on computers. Right.
0: <laughs> right. So EDM then... Yeah, and- yeah big room you know five years ago and now it means i guess whatever marshmallow does
1: right
2: (laughs) whatever marshmallow (laughs) does uh and i look at it a little differently i mean i've always been driven towards the electronic part of it and not so like i'm not i'm not a big dancer so the dance music doesn't really do anything for me i can appreciate it but most of the stuff that i'm i'm playing to and and the palette that my ear is accustomed to kind of falls in that future based realm where there's more sound design the the intro and the uh the verse you know has some ambiance going around it and then of course you get your stereotypical uh you know super sauce um but I, I appreciate that sound design aspect to it so to me it's the electronic where i can Hear the effort that happened in the sound design. That's kind of what I, what comes to my brain.
1: Yeah, interesting. And there's no right answer, you know, or wrong answer. I guess I should right. say. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think for me personally, it is kind of, kind of in just in that sense of, of of something that is meant to be. To me, EDM is like electronic pop. I guess is is the easiest way that I can explain it. Um, and not pop is in like you know. 90s, I'm a Barbie girl, or whatever, but just...
2: It's interesting uh, that that's where your brain went to describe pop.
1: Right, that's a... Because
0: that's also, because that's not, that's 80s, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Was it 80s? No, I'm pretty sure that was, like, mid to late 90s.
0: It so, sounds so much older than that, though.
1: So the reason why that that I chose that is actually because that was, like, a lot of what people actually started, like, referring to as techno.
0: I'm wrong. Okay.
1: Because because of the beat. (laughs) Uh, Because of how much more that song was electronic to say, um, you know, shit. I mean, what were some popular 90s tunes? Like Britney Spears, right? Um, Pop music. Like, if you look at Britney Spears and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, like, they all have this, like, specific, like, beat style, I guess, of what pop was. And then if you look at something like Barbie Girl or even that one song, uh... Shit! What is it?
0: Sandstorm.
1: Sandstorm. Uh, What is that? One girl better off alone. Um, That was another popular one. Oh yeah, Um, and and I'm blue. Eiffel. I'm blue. Yeah, Eiffel 65. You know, stuff like that. Like those were kind of like sitting on that edge, right? Of of getting into or starting to kind of bridge that gap of like what techno was, and people were like they were turning that into kind of pop music. Um, and now, like I don't even necessarily say that you would categorize sans sandstorm Darude as techno because techno means something totally different these days
0: right exactly um,
1: but you know to kind of stay on topic like I, I say that because there I, I feel like there is a correlation between what pop artists are doing within their music um, now and and what what actual, like, you know, I guess, like, kind of, like, different or, like, underground electronic music is. Like, what's that one tune from Nicki Minaj? I think Starships, you know? like Oh, yeah, that
2: one was, like, real EDM heavy. I remember remember that.
1: that.
0: Well, I'm really kind of fascinated by the overlap of, like, progressive, like, dance music and, like, hyperpop right now. I think that's, like, a very exciting kind of space.
1: I don't even know what hyperpop is.
0: Hyperpop is, I guess, music that is, like intentionally using like pop hooks and pop like melodies like to their excess for the like kind of fun of it it's like pop music the turtle sort of revels in itself
1: interesting oh huh. yeah i might have to go look and try to bear 30 minutes of that um <laughs> i'm kidding like, but... i would
0: like as as i think a lot of people might disagree with me i might i would call like 100 gecks, like firmly in that space
1: Man, I don't even know who that is. To be honest, I don't listen to anything. I don't even know if they're on the radio or not. But if they are, then that would be the reason why. I I do not turn my radio on at all whatsoever. Um, um, they are they are most definitely not on the radio. Okay, sorry. I I don't I didn't know like how, I don't know how I would know of them then.
0: Well, I mean, they're they're kind of culturally relevant, I guess, in pop circles and. I don't know, I just I I guess I like grew up in like such like a rock background where like people people's music taste like stopped when they were sixteen, I guess. And I always sort of saw that as like a bad thing. Right. Um, so I kind of very actively rebel against it and that I'd, you know, try to consume, try to at least glance at what's happening and see what parts of it I embrace.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, to be fair, like I think I think genres in general are kind of silly, but they do have they are in some cases a necessary evil <laughs> um, because they help us identify certain particular characteristics of music. Right. But at the same time, like there's this other spectrum of how far off you can go of it being like, okay, this is too specific. Right. Kind of like what we talked about before earlier.
0: But, you know, speaking of necessary evil, there was a uh, major uh, death in music yesterday and I wanted to see if we could, would all go around and, share our thoughts about the death of Eddie Van Halen.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually in, in class when I heard the news and to be honest, um, I don't, I don't, he wasn't really like a big part of like my musical influence or anything, but I know how popular and iconic he is. And it's just always kind of one of those things of like, dang, like that's another part of, I think more importantly, another part of our generation that's come to pass.
0: Right.
2: I, i'm gonna second everything he just said i mean mad respect for the man um i i, I never really followed their music too closely yeah i um,
0: know i mean there was definitely a little bit of irony in me bringing up you know like a ancient rock guitarist on like a well, music yeah, production podcast I mean,
2: no but still i mean you know I i grew up on eagles and zeppelin and you know all that so The fact that his name is is so revered whether or not you listen to his music or not uh definitely definitely a loss for the world all the way around
1: right yeah it's um i don't know it's it's kind of interesting to think about um those kinds of things too like when when artists and stuff that you care about comes to pass um i mean of course nobody would wish anything bad on anybody and you know there's all that to be said but you know, it's
0: a pretty pertinent topic right now.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but but at the same time, um, it, it's like I don't know. Like I I don't know. I'm kind of peculiar with death in general. But you know, Eddie Van Halen isn't somebody that I was close to. You know, it's not somebody that I knew personally. And the other thing, and the more important thing, is that it's also not about me. <laughs> I'm just kind of relaying my thoughts. But right. You know, it is sad and, and I do feel for people that are on that, that level, but you know, I I don't know, like I, I never saw that I never saw that side of fandom between any artists that I liked, if that makes sense.
0: I actually don't like really kinda of know what you mean.
1: Uh, do you say that you don't know what I mean? I don't. Yeah, so like people that like are so so fanatical towards like the people that they listen to and stuff that like their whole world is shaken and crushed because you know somebody like one of their favorite artists you know came to pass or or something of the sense you know, right? Um, I mean,
0: I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people were like that when like Bowie died,
1: yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a, another big one too, right? Um, that happened didn't that happen this year? I, was oh, I think back.
2: that was that was last year, wasn't it? I think last that was year.
0: last year
1: because he wrote, like, an album about
0: how he was going to die and then he died, which, what a move.
2: That's right. so Bowie, though. It's so Bowie.
0: Absolutely.
1: I mean, yeah, and, you know, that's... Oh, also,
0: I think he died, like, in 2016 because LCD Sound System wrote a song about it. He <laughs> it came out in 2017. Possibly. Wow you know
2: I, dude i don't 2020 has been like five years so all the way back to 2015 i don't know what year what happened
0: remember the right. uh, wildfires in australia the one no idea <laughs> does remember the, the australian wildfires that destroyed half the country oh, oh yeah
1: that yeah that was yeah. this year yeah that was that one i remember yeah that was okay so that was kind of a big deal for me um because uh, I have some some friends, of family or some family friends that uh, that live out there. But also, you know, like, uh, I mean, Mr. Bill obviously is from Australia. Um, Copycat is from Australia. And um, I sent him a message. I was just like, hey, dude, like, are are you okay? (laughs) Like, are you alive? (laughs) And, you know, he was kind enough to send me a response. But um, but that's, you know, that's that to me. Is so much more demeaning and so much more sad. Um, not not trying to compare anything, but like the amounts of lives that were lost in that, the amount of souls that were kind of taken off the planet, um, the amount of nature that was destroyed from that is just like that was that was a catastrophe, dude. Like even in the West right, right now, like California's on fire. I grew up in California, and it's like fuck, man.
0: Right? Um, 20, yeah. Where 20. Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, I grew up in L.A. for the most part, and um, I was I was actually born in Oklahoma and uh, boo. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) What can I say? Um, But yes,
2: I'm a Texas boy. I got to boo Oklahoma every time Uh, I hear it.
1: That's fine. I have like no, no affiliation to Oklahoma or or college sports or any of that stuff. So go ahead. (laughs) The floor is yours
2: honestly um, i i don't care
1: i'm just playing no with I know. stereotypes yeah yeah for sure uh totally fine but but yeah so i was born born in oklahoma and um my mom moved to california when i was at a really young age and i spent most of my school years there and then from then on i kind of bounced around from place to place just because of you know work opportunity and um and vegas and, and all that stuff
0: right and what was like well, i guess what were your like early can like what kind of got you into music? That was something we didn't really even touch on. We went very wide without going <laughs> just... very narrow first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. like uh, Benjamin Button of podcasts.
1: Right. Um, so in 2013, I was at a tricking competition in San Jose, where it wasn't really a competition. It was called a gathering, but that's where a bunch of people from all over the world come and get together. And we meet at a gym that has a spring floor and we just freaking throw down on tricks for a week. And it's one of the coolest things that I've ever experienced. And the amount of the sheer amount of energy that you have in those environments are are pretty amazing. But um, yeah, the first night that I was there, it was a week long event. I over rotated on a trick and shattered my ankle and I was kind of just stuck there. And anytime you get hurt, hopefully you guys have never had any particular major injuries regarding sports. But anytime you get hurt, it's always like, all right, well, fuck, is this it? You know? Is this, am I done? Um, so when I got back home, I started looking into other creative endeavors. And I was like, you know what? Shit, I'm going to get into music. And so I ordered a machine online. You know, the uh, it was a Mark II at the time, but it came with the software. It came with hardware to play with. And from there, I just started making tunes.
0: Nice. But you said you also s- had some piano backgrounds?
2: Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to touch on.
1: Yeah, um, not too far after that. Um, I I would say like piano background, quote unquote, is like a Suzuki method or something, right? But I watched this YouTube video online, and it was like how to sound like a piano genius in 20 minutes. And they introduced the number system, as opposed to like the whole step, half step, really confusing endeavor, um, which I understand now, but still confuses me to explain to somebody else, if that makes sense. Mm. But from Uh, there on, yeah but from there on i just started learning and picking up theory and stuff as i as i kind of went and i I don't know actually in 2018 i have i don't have any keyboards or any any hardware whatsoever i do have a guitar um my grandmother has a grand piano at her house who doesn't live too far from me but yeah i don't know i just i hit way too many roadblocks with music theory and stuff that i was just like i just want to do something different that i can continue the momentum on. Maybe we'll come back to it later, but... Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's... Uh... But yeah, I'm, I'm still... I wouldn't say that I've been in the game for a long time. I've only been producing for, I guess, seven years as of August. Right. Same, actually. So, I like...
2: Coming, I think I'm coming on 10. I don't know.
1: That's awesome, man. 10's a big deal. Yeah, How but, are, like. I
2: mean, Like, like the first six of it, like, was just super part time. And like, I didn't even own Ableton until five years in. So,
1: right. what did you have before then?
2: Ableton demos. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I mean, it was back in the day when you could just like type in whatever email address and you could just generate email addresses over and over.
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, Do you do
0: that
2: for six years? well, but like I said, it was super part time. Like I was writing like two songs a year, if even that.
1: Man,
0: so
2: that's like that's all. Was, was I producing then? Technically, yes, but like, was I an active producer? No, right. Like I was yeah. just dipping my toes into Ableton.
0: Yeah, I mean that was probably me up until like the last two years, I guess, because I think the name DJ Hypotect, as it was originally DJ Hypotect, came as kind of a joke in grad school that sort of became something that I now I'm spending a lot of time doing.
1: So I don't want to assume anything, but did I'm guessing that you guys also got into music in like your adult years?
0: Um, I was like in like, I guess I was like jamming with people and like from like the age of like 15 on when I got like a guitar, it was like kind of that kid. um, I was a little bit of, like, the acoustic guitar kid in high school, but, like, playing, like, Vampire Weekend songs rather than, like, cowboy chords, I guess. Right. Like, Thank God
2: uh, for that. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think I got my first Fender in fifth grade, Seagull in seventh grade, and I still have that Seagull acoustic right next to me right now. That's a durable guitar. Mm. Uh, and then I picked up piano by the age of 12. So... No, I, I I've been in music pretty much my entire life.
0: Yeah, I so mean, you, you haven't been meandered around like you know, or- orchestra and band and whatnot. Uh, choir, speaking to an in- instrument for a while.
1: I I was
2: choir in high school, middle school, and high school. I was in choir.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, there's, I guess, I was going to pose the question of, you know, getting into music or like getting into production like as an adult. Right. But I kind of feel like you guys have had quite a bit behind you. Um, before jumping into, you know, the digital world.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, I, I mean, the, the music theory is, is years behind me. I mean, I'm always looking to advance it and learn more chords, but as far as the basics, you know, I had all that figured out by the time I was 16 and 17. Uh, right. So when, it, when I switched to digital, it was more like, okay, how do I take what I know works on a keyboard and make cool sounds with it digitally? It was more learning the software than it was having to learn both at the same time.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. same. For me, it was a lot of like, how do I learn to make music that sound like sounds like dance music? Because I think what you write on but you write on a guitar sounds does not always work no <laughs> um, for sure or you try to just put you know a pick drum underneath it
1: yeah unless if you're a flamenco artist then it always works
0: <laughs> but right well um, someone should have told me that and i would have just done flamenco on...
1: yeah <laughs> or, no man like dude trying to learn flamenco like now has just been it's been a lot of fun but i'm just like oh my god these it's people never... are so good
2: it's never too late to change hyper. You can always start.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all about like time investment and like you know what you're willing to do, but right, but yeah, I, mean, I think that's I, sort of at the end of the day
0: that's like any anything that like you try to pursue really.
1: There's um I've, I find that like kind of like what we were talking about before like it's pretty interesting because I have a friend who like I was telling you she's a composer and stuff and um, I gave her a copy of Ableton especially since I moved over to Bitwig. And she's kind of had the same approach that you've had about, you know, saying like, OK, well, how do I take what I know and, and apply it? But the interesting thing that I've kind of found behind that is that a lot of times people like musicians and producers and stuff develop a certain way of approaching music because of their backgrounds. Right. So like I, I guess right. the easiest way that I can explain that is like if you are primarily a pianist, then you approach music as a pianist. You know, if you are a guitarist in the same way. Um, you know, if you're a composer that is actually like just a composer and doesn't like really dabble with like the actual instrumentations of it, then the awareness factor that you have between all those things are totally different. And if you're a sound designer, you know, like I'd say I'm more of a sound designer than I am actually a producer just because of what I, I spend that most of my time doing.
0: mode that you produce in. What do you say? Sorry. I would just say that that's more of the mode you produce, produce in.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean, but it's still, it still is the approach, right? It still is about how you, how you think
2: well i think so just a a quick segue here uh first off with her teach her velocity automation that that was one thing that i really had to figure out and you know plug in in the early days is that i'm so used to the haptic feedback that the piano responds to how press how hard i press the keys and I can change the sound that way. As a new producer, I didn't know that you actually had to tell Ableton to do that. So, right. that that was a huge thing for me. What what would your your advice be, you know, other advice other than that for new producers?
1: Depends on depends on where you're coming from, really. Um I have I have this this video idea that I've been working on for a long time, but um Hold on, let me pull up this note for a second. It's like this huge freaking elaborate script that is probably way overwritten. But basically, I kind of have written out a a game plan for somebody who either knows a lot about music or nothing about music to approach, you know, writing a song. Um, The first thing that you want to identify is like five different things or like there's like a five step process of like, um, you know, why do you want to get into production, you know, then what is it that you want to make? Okay. Well, then we figure out the how of, you know, how, how to approach that specific style of something. Um, and then the actual, like, which is to me, the hardest part is the grinding process of it. And then once you have something that's finished, you get into, um, recreating or, or evaluation or refinement. Right. So that's a really general statement, but Between all that stuff, I always teach to the individual based off of what they actually need because their placement and their place in life and their attitude and outlook on things are always different. So giving them that particular framework, if nobody knows anything about music whatsoever, would be the first thing to just introduce them to. So that way they kind of are like, they have a sense of direction that they can use that as a framework or they can say, I understand that and I'm going to do something totally different, but it's just something, right? Right. Um, I know that wasn't technical, but in our case with with her, with what she's doing is I'm teaching her she knows she knows a lot and she picks up really quickly. But as opposed to doing like those kind of technical things of like learning about velocity and learning how to put instruments up and stuff, I'm teaching her how to try to create a physical space with reverb uh, using return tracks um, to help make Ableton seem like it's more of like an orchestral room, if that makes sense. Gotcha. That makes Um, sense. How to not make something sound so digital. And of course, there's only so close that you can get without having an actual recording. But that would be, you know, understanding reverb, like within a space, if that's the kind of music that you want to make on the computer, I find is something that is pretty invaluable, right? Of not just slapping on a reverb or not just leaving something dry, of making it not sound so... "Quote unquote, like cheesy, you know, right? Um, but, but yeah. So, so within all those things, right? Like, I think that like identifying or trying to pick a direction and grow is like a a a, a stupid saying. But it is pretty profound in the sense of like if you don't know what to do, but you want to make music or something, you just pick a direction and start going there. And once you do that, then you can figure out if you want to take another step in a different path. But if you stay in the same spot the whole time, then you don't go anywhere. So, you know, asking yourself, well, what kind of characteristics do you like about music? You know, what kind of things do you want? Who do you want to sound like? Or, um what kind of noises are you attracted to what kind of melodies are you attracted to what what is it about music that you like in general that you want to reflect right um but that can be said with anything as far as identifying yourself as an artist you know i have these little examples or stuff that i wrote out of like okay well i like really you know hard transient heavy drums i like really heavy bass and like dark textures and stuff and i'm like okay well now that i know that how do i make it And then you, you know, kind of put yourself in this process of like getting to the next step in that direction. Right. And, you know, I would say like five, ten years ago, this wouldn't be very useful. But with how much YouTube and online resources have evolved and how much free information we have access to. You can learn everything off
0: YouTube. Yeah, I know. It's incredibly easy to just say, I want to make stuff like this and then go figure it out, figure out specifically how to do that one thing, kind of.
1: Exactly. And it's part of the fun of being like a YouTube content creator, too, is, you know, going on YouTube and being like, okay, let me type in, you know, um... Like one one prime example that worked out really well was like recently I looked up how to do like trip hop drums and almost nothing was on YouTube. So I made a video that was kind of like in that same style or sense. And the thing is, is that I don't care about how accurate that was or wasn't, because some people would argue that it is, that it isn't. That that wasn't the point. The point is that I'm drawing attention towards a specific topic that will hopefully catalyze other people to start looking in that direction again.
0: Right. And um, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think we should probably need to wrap things up here. I actually have a, one last question for you that I think kind of ties in actually very like funnily to what you just said, which is, I recently heard the quote that your production is only as contemporary as your drum sound. What do you think about that?
1: It's only as contemporary as your drum sound? Yeah. Uh, I'm Bollocks, I guess. <laughs> you know, like... Um, not every song or not every, you know, piece of music even needs drums or percussion. And you know, I, I think that like when people say stuff like that, it, it always irks me because they're trying to, I understand that it's meant to, to set something up or set a perspective, right? But right. when somebody says something like it's only this or it's only this or it's only this, or, it's only this um. Then that leaves out the room for other possibilities, and um, forgive me if that's like not even like the whole point of of what that saying is about, right? But no, I
0: mean, that's, I think that this whole episode has been a um, quest into the realm of ambiguity, and I think that that's equally. Rep- I think that that answer represents that very well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there there should always be room for interpretation with an art. I do believe that. Uh, to just kind of wrap things up, I do believe that everything has a structure, but once you understand the structure, you can learn to break the structure. And that's the kind of response that I would give to somebody that ever said something like that to me.
0: All right. Um, do you have any closing thoughts or things you want to promote where people can find you? Things like that?
1: Um, really, I just want to say thanks. Uh, thanks for having me and thanks for chatting with me uh, for a couple hours on on the subject matter of, you know, like you said, ambiguity. Um, I don't think that I am going to promote my stuff um, just because that's not really what I'm concerned about with this podcast. I kind of just wanted to chop it up with some people and have some fun.
0: Right. Um,
1: Baddest, do you have anything to promote?
0: Uh, well, the, the
2: Patreon is going live if you want to touch on that.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe I should. Um, so that is live now. The first episode will be... Up, uploaded this Sunday. So look out for that. I'm not really breaking the mold on the model for that at all. It's five bucks. There's an extra episode every week. Um, probably a mix of me, Vadis and Starblade talking, hopefully with some guests and potentially some more radio oriented things where we'll listen to songs by more obscure producers, you know, and put some attention on their work. But, that's pretty much what it's going to be.
1: Awesome. Um, yeah, and for you guys, um, send me your send me your tunes. I'll listen to them. And and if you want to let you know what I think, or I'll just listen to them in general and say, hey, I listen to your stuff. But uh, we're kind of all in this together. I feel right. Everyone's sure. trying to maybe not necessarily make it as a musician, but we're all trying to get better as musicians or producers, right. whatever you want to call it. So. That's more so what I'm interested in, to be honest.
0: Right, getting closer to that, I guess, the source, if you will.
1: Yeah, exactly. But thank you guys for having me. Uh, I had a great time, and I hope you guys had fun, too. And um, at some point, like we said, you know, I'd definitely like to reciprocate having you on where it'll be a... The nature of the structure will be a little bit different, but I would like to have you kind of, you know, come on my podcast and stuff and just talk about your experiences and all that.
0: Yeah, no, we... I'm sure both of us would love to come on.
1: Would love it for sure. Awesome. Let's figure that out soon. Okay.